Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast, the practical how-to guide for women returning to the workforce, recent grads, and those looking to get the job of their dreams. Now, here's the founder of the Back to Business Women's Conference and your host, Katie Dunn. Welcome to the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. I'm Katie Dunn, and I'm excited this morning to be joined by my guest, Austin Belzac. Austin, welcome to the show, and thanks for being here. Katie, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat. Awesome. Me too. So Austin is the founder of Cultivated Culture, and he is also one of the very few people who has authored an article on job search that I have literally had sitting on my desk for many years. It's among my top three very faves because of some of the unconventional strategies that you like to talk about. And I want to really dig into those today because there's so much good stuff for job seekers in there. The article, by the way, was called How to Get a Job Anywhere with No Connections. And I, where was, was it first published in Fortune? Where did I read that originally? So it was, it was originally published on my blog. That was like the first article that I ever wrote back in, I wrote it back in late 2015 and it came out in early 2016. And since then it's been shared around on different sites and stuff like that. So you may have picked it up somewhere else, but that was really the article that sort of started the movement, if you will. Yeah. So that, wait, that was your first article? Yeah, yeah. ever. Mm-hmm. Wow. Because it's really long and detailed, <laughs> but like long in a good way, because it's got so much information in there. It's a fantastic how-to guide, which is absolutely my favorite thing, is not just people giving advice, hey, try this or try this, but people who are like, here's what I did. It works. This email, do this now, then do this. So It's fantastic. I love it. And I share it with every job seeker that I talk to every chance I get, because I think it's just an amazing how-to guide, how to, like, how to, not just how to get a job, but how to stand out from the crowd. It's really all about distinguishing yourself from everybody else who's applying for jobs. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I had in mind when I wrote it because my whole company and and everything is based on my experience as a job seeker. There's a lot of career coaches who have become career coaches after being in HR or working as a recruiter or whatever it is. And I've come from a different place, which is just the side of being the job seeker. And one of the most frustrating things for me was the fact that there were all these articles and there were all these people telling you what to do, but nobody would tell you how to do it. So they'd say, you need to optimize your resume for keywords. And then I'd be like, great, that sounds good. I have no idea how to do that. Can you tell me more? Or they tell me to go network and same type of thing. How do I network? How do I send that email? How do I get somebody to reply? And so I looked at the people that I went to for advice online, not necessarily for career stuff, but just in general. And I said, okay, what do these people do that has drawn me to that? What did they share? How did they write their articles? What did they include? What's their style? And I just really took that and baked it into that first article and tried to share as much as I, I possibly could. So that was absolutely my goal, Katie. And yeah, it's still, it, it seems to still hold up this many years later. And that's still the ethos of our company. It's amazing. Well, and I'm, I'm amazed that that was your first one that you wrote because it reads like something that you spend a lot of 
time coming to learn something like that. For sure. Um, so congrats. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, actually, let's start with your story a little bit because you were a frustrated job seeker at one <laughs> point. So tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it starts back when I was five, I would say. When you're five, you're asked what you want to do when you grow up, or really when you start to walk and when you start to talk and you're asked by your parents and your kindergarten teachers, and you can say anything then. NFL quarterback, I wanted to be an NFL quarterback, and then I wanted to work in construction, operating an excavator. So that would have been a challenging career change, I think, but you never know. But those answers were acceptable. My teachers, my parents, they told me I could do anything I wanted if I put my mind to it. And then we're continued to be asked that question. That question persists through the years as we grow up, but the scope of acceptable answers narrows down a bit. And so all of a sudden you find yourself in high school or college and you say, I want to be an English major and a writer. And people tell you that's nice, but you're not going to make any money or it's really hard to get a job. Why don't you be more realistic? And so I think we're funneled into these TV careers, doctor, lawyer, accountant, real estate agent, whatever it is. And I ended up choosing doctor because I wasn't the best student and I had taken a biology class in high school that I ended up doing well in and I enjoyed it. So I said, Hey, I'll be a doctor. My parents approved of that. Their friends approved of that. There were lots of nods and smiles. And so I, I said, okay, that's my path. And I based my whole college search around that. I did some internships in high school and I get to college and I'm thrown into this environment where there's lots of other people who are from all over the place who are my age and I haven't interacted with before. And, and that social side of things was just a lot more interesting to me than class. And so I ended up failing chemistry my freshman year. I ended up failing French my freshman year. I ended up getting out of freshman year with a, a pretty terrible GPA, uh, one that medical schools are, are not too excited about. So I had to make a choice. Do I explore and find something new? Or do I continue to just coast and, and ride it out and see what happens? So I chose the latter. I continued to enjoy my, my time on the social side of college, and I didn't really invest too much in the academics. And I didn't really think about my future. Uh, the one internship I landed was placed in my lap by my roommate's dad. I think nepotism in its truest form. And that was a very privileged place to be. And, and I just took that internship. At the end of the summer, they offered me a full-time role. And they didn't really tell me what the salary was. They didn't really tell me much else about trajectory or anything like that. But I accepted it sight unseen because I said, this will allow me to not have to worry about anything for the rest of senior year and, and I'll have a job. I'll be fine. So that's exactly what happened. I didn't apply anywhere else. I didn't interview anywhere else. All my friends were, you know, skipping class or not going to the bar because they were studying for interviews and actually were thinking about their future. So I graduated and I got slapped in the face. I was getting paid not a lot of money. And basically my rent and my car payment totaled up to be about 70 to 80% of my income. And then I didn't have much to live on outside of that. So I racked up 10 to 15,000 bucks of credit card debt in the first couple of months outside of school. And on top of that, my job was pretty miserable. You know, my boss didn't treat me very well. He kept telling me I didn't have a future in this field. I, I wasn't going to make anything of myself. I should try to go do something else. And the job itself was pretty brutal for many reasons. So I said, okay, maybe I'll take your advice. Maybe I'll go look into something else. And I decided that something else would be tech. So this was in 2013. 
in the summer, early fall. And that's really when a lot of these tech companies, there's a golden age. We haven't, we didn't see it, all this privacy stuff come to light and all these other uh, sort of cons that had always been there, but hadn't necessarily surfaced. And tech is still, I think, an amazing place to work, but truly every company could do no wrong at that point. And I said, this seems like the future. So I set my sights on a, a company like Google or a Facebook or a Microsoft. I went to all the people that we normally go to for advice and I told them my plan. And, and Katie, have you ever seen the movie Legally Blonde? Yes. Okay. So I felt like Elle Woods when she went to like her career counselor and was like, I'm going to go to Harvard. And her counselor was like, no, you're not. That, that's not going to happen. She said, look, it's hard. That was me. So I, I, I thought that this would be totally possible because everybody had told me, if you go to college, you get your degree, you'll have an opportunity. And I quickly found out that was not the case. So the advice I got was be more realistic, but also everybody told me the same thing. They told me that the job search process is essentially tweaking your resume, tweaking your cover letter, and then you go apply and apply and eventually it's a numbers game. So eventually something will stick, but you just have, you just have to keep applying until that happens. At first I said, great, I can do that. That's easy. And so I applied to a hundred places over the next month and I didn't, I didn't hear back from any of them. Shocker. So I said, this is weird. That doesn't make sense. Normally the advice that you get from these people works. That's why we've gone to them for advice. And I went back to them and I said, what gives? You all told me that this was the way, what's the deal here? And they basically parroted back the same thing they had said before, which was that it was a numbers game. At that point, I thought it was weird that they said this thing was the way and it clearly wasn't working. And then too, that everybody from my parents, my friends, college counselors, they all told me the exact same thing. Given that those people were in such different places in life and from such different backgrounds, that was a bit of a red flag as well. So I said, okay, I'll double down on this and I will do it for another month. And if that doesn't lead to anything, something has to change. I applied to 200 jobs over the next month. I didn't hear back from any of them. I didn't get any interviews. I didn't get any offers. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I, I truly felt like a crazy person at that point. So I had to basically go find another way to do this. And this has been a, a long winded answer, I know. So essentially what happened was I, I took a totally different approach to the job search. Instead of applying online, I went out and I sought out people who looked like me in the, in the sense that they were working at these companies I wanted to work at, but they came from a non-traditional background. Where I felt I was going wrong was I was taking advice from these people that we always go to for advice, but those people hadn't done what I wanted to do. My parents were successful in their own, but they hadn't job searched in 20 years. And my friends all worked in finance and the career counselors at my school had been career counselors as their career. They hadn't worked at Google. And so I went out and I, I found people who made that transition from a non-traditional background into tech. And I started learning from them. They taught me two things that became the core part of my job search system, which is one, if you want to get in the door, you basically need a referral. And then two, you have to find another way to show your value outside of a resume and a cover letter. And so I used those two things as the core pillars of my new job search system. And then I spent, I basically made it my, my life's mission to tear apart the hiring process and figure out what worked and what didn't. To summarize a, a long period of time of testing and iterating and failing, I essentially developed this system that allowed me to pick and choose where I landed interviews. And so by the end of it, I had landed interviews and offers with Google and Microsoft and Twitter. I ended up accepting the offer with Microsoft and that was five years ago. And I, I still work there today and then cultivated culture 
was born out of all these people coming to me and saying, how did you make this happen? And that's where that article, Katie, that you mentioned stemmed from. After 20 people asked me how I did it, I said, okay, maybe there's something here. Let me write down everything that I remember, everything that I tested. Let me put it into an article. And the response was really great. It turns out a lot of people had felt the same way that I did. And uh, Cultivated Culture kind of was born out of that. That's fantastic. So this is, so Cultivated Culture is your side gig in addition to your day job at Microsoft. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's great. What do you do at Microsoft? I work as a director of partner development. So I work on the advertising side of our business. And essentially my job is to go out and find partners who plug into small businesses at scale. It's worth a Microsoft salesperson's time to go, let's say, pitch uh, Google on advertising with us one-on-one because they're such a large company or a Walmart or an Amazon or whatever. There's still a lot of money in all these small businesses, but it's really hard for one person to go pitch every single one of them. So what we do instead is we go find companies that are already working working with those small businesses and we basically create a partnership with them. My job is to go find those companies that would be good partners uh, and bring them into our partner program. Mm -hmm. Um, That's fantastic. And are you, where are you based out of New York? I'm in New York city. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. What I love about your approach first is that it, like you said, it came to me out of your experience of discovering, Hey, what everybody else is talking about isn't working but here's what is working and you've tested it and changed it, tweaked it, iterated on it. So I love that. Um, it's also very scrappy, right? Isn't it? And, and I use that like as a very positive term. I For think sure. it's tremendous because a lot of what you are advocating is not just throwing out the resume and the cover letter, but going the distance as far as figuring out what are their problems and proactively present a solution to people. I would love to talk about that and your experience actually doing things like that to land interviews. Definitely. So I'm a big fan of testing and experimenting and then iterating based on what the data says. And so something that always baffled me and and still baffles me today is that job seekers know that the system doesn't work. They've every single person that I talk to, let's say 98 or 99% of the job seekers that I've spoken to tell me that they, they send in all these applications, but none of them end up being fruitful. And it's crazy because I felt I could submit five applications or 50 or 200. And I could not confidently tell you how many interviews I would get out of that. Whereas in most cases, there's some sort of predictable outcome based on the volume of inputs that, that you're driving. And we continue down this path using this system or process that we all know doesn't work. And I think it's because of one of two things. One, job seekers either don't know of another way or two, they do know that there's another way out there, but it's really unfamiliar. And it's hard to do things that aren't familiar when you have a process and a system that is so highly structured in the sense of you use this resume and you put it in, you input your info in these fields and you hit submit and then somebody looks at it. And we, as we, as humans do like familiarity, we do like structure, but all of the data points to the opposite, all of the data points to referrals being the biggest source of, of hires. And so for me, when I was job searching, like I said, I felt like I was going crazy with this traditional process. And then when I went and looked at the data and when I went and talked to all these people who had done it themselves, they showed me that there was this other way. And so I felt that 
you know, what did I have to lose? If I went and tried something new and didn't work, my outcome couldn't be any worse than it already was. So I didn't really have anything to lose. That's when I decided to just get out there and start testing different things. So I really expanded the scope of my search. I stopped just focusing on tech companies and I just tried to apply to and get in touch with as many people as I could in a variety of different industries that were even just somewhat interesting to me. And my goal was less about getting the job and more about getting data because I knew that if I wanted to work at a Google or a Microsoft, I had to really understand, I had to have a strategy and I had to really understand what worked and what didn't. And that strategy had to be different from what other people were doing. I created a sandbox. I said, let me take some time to test this stuff out on companies and, and contacts that Quite frankly, I just didn't, I, I didn't care as much about, I wasn't as passionate about. And so I tested everything from resumes. Should you have an objective or a summary or nothing? When I was reaching out to people, I tested different cold email templates. When I was having a conversation with them, I tested different approaches to that conversation. In my interviews, I tested different approaches to certain answers or the flow of the interview or the way that even just the first five minutes of the interview, the way I approached that. And basically doing that over 50 plus interviews with hundreds of different interviewers, I was really able to get a sense of what worked and what didn't. But all the while I kept track of my results. So I would have an Excel sheet that said this worked or this didn't. And then I would try to get a, a sample size. And so over time, I, I could really get some data behind the things that were effective. And so when it came time to apply this to the companies that I was really excited about, the Googles, the Microsofts, et cetera, I knew that this email template had the best response rate. So I'm going to use that. And I knew that this interview approach or strategy had the best success rate. So I'm going to try that. And I just put myself in a much better position because of that. So essentially the system breaks down in a way that instead of applying online and going hundred miles wide and one mile deep, just tweaking a couple of lines in your resume and sending it out. I went the opposite. I went one mile wide and a hundred miles deep. So I picked 10 to 15 companies and I said, these are my dream companies. And I am going to put the same level of energy that I would have put into hundred or 200 applications into just these 10, 15 companies. So I started by researching these companies and learning everything that I possibly could about them from where they were to how much money they're making, what their challenges were, what initiatives they're driving. I listened to earnings calls. I listened to interviews. I surveyed customers. I, I did the whole thing. And then I went and found contacts at those companies who weren't just going to be able to get me an interview, but could really potentially influence the end hiring decision. So maybe they'd be in the room where the decision is made, or maybe they would have the ear of the hiring manager, the person making that decision. And I tried to work to build relationships with those people because they were going to be my, the best bang for my buck. So I tried to find around 10 to 15 people at each of those 10 to 15 companies. And I just started sending these cold emails out and building relationships. And then through those relationships and through my research, my goal was to uncover some sort of angle, whether it's a pro it was a problem or an initiative or an idea or something that the company was really focused on. Essentially, you know, companies hire for one reason, which is that they have a need or they have a goal and they want to bring in somebody who will help them achieve that goal or meet that need or whatever it is. So my goal was to understand what that need was or what that goal was. And then I wanted to also understand why that had happened. Why is this a challenge or why is this initiative, you know, being rolled out? And then through that, I would come up with some way to tie my value and my experience to being the best person to solve for that. So for example, at Microsoft, 
they were hiring me for this partnerships role. And the whole thing was plugging into SMBs. And so I had been doing some freelance work where I essentially was using their competitor's tool, which was Google AdWords at the time to generate leads for small businesses. And I had real estate companies and I had a bunch of different other verticals that, that I worked with as clients. And so I came in and I said, Hey, I'm doing this stuff. And here's where I did an audit of where you're positioning yourself. And here's where I think that you could really make some progress and bring in more of these companies. And that experience is what really sold me through, but it wasn't really anything on my resume. It was more so the fact that I showed up and I had essentially a proposal for exactly what I would do and how I could help when I, if, if they decided to hire me. And that's something that I call a value validation project. And we, and we can talk about that a little bit more, but showing up in that way, having a referral, and then instead of just relying on a resume and saying, hey, here's what I did two years ago for a company that's similar to yours. I said, hey, if you hire me, here's what's gonna happen over the next two years to help you go from you know A to B or to help you go from where you are now to solving that challenge or meeting that need or whatever it is. And nobody else is doing that. So that really helped me clarify my value and get it recognized while also standing out from everybody else. That's amazing. There's so much there that I want to dig into. <laughs> First, um, one of the things that is so key, I think, that you talk a lot about and that a lot of your process really hinges on is finding those contacts inside a company. So I think that's the part that gets well, it's hard, right? Nothing about this is easy. Nothing about finding a job is really ever all that easy. But when you think about 10 to 15 contacts in a company, if you're starting from a position of you really don't have a network in this space, in this industry, in any of these companies I would like to work at, how do people go about finding the right people? Yeah. So again, it's really about looking at what role you're targeting and then going and finding people who might be on that team. So the way that I did it was first I, I would find my target role. So for me, I started in account management and, and that was the role that I was looking for. But if you want to be, let's say a data scientist or in user experience or in sales, maybe a, a business development representative or whatever, you go find that job title. And then I, the first thing I did was look at how the company's organization was structured. So titles can be different at different companies and the hierarchy can be a little bit different, but essentially at most companies, you have the junior role, which is in a, like an associate or a coordinator or whatever it is. And then you have usually just the job title and then maybe senior job title. And then you have director and VP and then C-level and there's some stuff in between there. But if you understand that structure for the company you're going for, that gives you a sense of who to look for. So I started by just plugging in my job title into LinkedIn. I would use their filters to set for the target companies I was looking for. And then I would also set it for the geo that I was applying to. And I think this is still relevant even in COVID because companies are still hiring into teams in specific locations for a number of reasons. But if you lock in that geography where the, the job is posted, you just have a better chance of connecting with the people who are actually on the team you'd be working for. So I plugged that in as well. And I used some of the other filters and I, I played around with them. And my goal is to narrow it down to the people who would essentially be as close to the team, if not on the team and start there. And then I would go one level up. So then I would look for senior account managers or I'd look for an account director and I would try to, have a mix of contacts in my 10 to 15. So I would have a couple of directors, I would have a couple of senior AMs, and then I would have the rest be account managers. 
And I think really 10 to 15 contacts at a company is a nice baseline. What I found is that the more people you reach out to, just the better your chances. And I reached out to many more than just 10 to 15 at a lot of these companies. But really focusing in on that person who it's it's some concentric circles where the hiring manager is at the middle and then the people on the team are in that next circle. And then people who are working with that team or supporting that team or whatever it is, that's the next circle. And then you really have, you know, anybody in that department at the company, so on and so forth. And you want to start by getting as close as possible, but sometimes your best contact is somebody who's not on the team and that's fine. Referrals a referral. And if this person's willing to be a champion for you and go to bat for you, that's still great. So I started by trying to find the person, but that's not always feasible. So then I worked my way out by saying, Hey, is this person going to be close to the role? And if so, I'll prioritize them higher on my list. Awesome. What I didn't hear you say was HR or (laughs) was that intentional? Yes. Yeah, it was. And unless you want to be an HR or you want to be a recruiter, I usually recommend avoiding them. And that's not a knock against recruiters. I typically find that really what it comes down to is two things. So one recruiters are just totally slammed usually because a lot of people like us have the, we're told, Hey, you need to network or you need to do more than just apply. And so to us, that means, okay, I see this person's a recruiter. I see their face next to the job post. Like I'll send them an email and now I'm going above and beyond. But the problem is you and 500 other people had that idea. So that person's inbox is totally swamped. It's really hard to stand out, but let's say that you do, let's say that you write a compelling email or you do something and that person picks you out of the crowd the furthest their influence goes is getting you that interview. Like they can get you the phone screen, but that's where their influence ends. They don't have any real influence over the end hiring decision. So you're putting in way more effort to get in touch with somebody who doesn't have nearly as much influence. Whereas if we go for the people who are on that team, that hiring team, that hiring manager, those people can get you an interview just the same with the referral, but they are going to one, be able to coach you through the process much better. They're going to have a lot more influence over the end hiring decision And they're easier to get in touch with because they're not getting bombarded with emails from job seekers all the time. So you just have a lot more bang for your buck and it's a lot more efficient to go for that hiring team right off the bat and let everybody else deal with the recruiters. Mm -hmm. Great. That's a really good strategy. And then when you do get, okay, so you reach out to all these people and some of them won't respond, but some of them will. And so when people respond to you, what is it that you are asking them? What do you hope the next step is? Yeah. So the point of the outreach, uh, a lot of people usually go right for the jugular and they just try to, the best way I can put it is they try to win the job on one email and that typically doesn't work. So the reframe that I like to share is the point of the email is simply to get the person on the phone. Like you're not trying to do anything else except get the person to have a longer face-to-face conversation with you. And so when we reframe it that way, um, typically just sending an email that says, here's my resume, or you all have a job opening or whatever it is, that typically doesn't play very well. So instead, I like to make the outreach about the other person. And I try to find something about them that I can tap into. And that could be something in their background. If they had a non-traditional career path, like I did, I might reach out to them about that. If they maybe worked on a cool project, maybe they were an alumni of the university I went to, maybe they've written articles online, or maybe they've shared content in other ways, or they have a portfolio. I'm really doing a lot of research on each of these people to try and understand the best angle that I can use to make the outreach about them. Because at the end of the day, no matter who you are, 
we're all self-interested people. That's human nature. And you know that you can be self-interested and also be a selfless person. But if somebody sends you an email, I've shared this LinkedIn post a couple of times, but I say if person A emailed you and they just said, here's my resume and person B emailed you and mentioned something about you and said it was impressive, you're probably much more likely to reply to person B. And that's simply because they took the time to show that they did some research on you and they care about you and they're interested in you beyond just getting a job. And so that's really what I try to play into. And then that first conversation, my goal is twofold. I want to hear more about their story. I don't want to just tell them, hey, your stuff is really impressive and then get on the phone and do the same thing, ask for a job. I want to say, hey, your story is impressive. Tell me about it. And by listening to their story, you're going to learn so much stuff about them, about the company, about who they are and the way they like to portray themselves. And that can tell you a lot about how you should approach them through the rest of the relationship. But then in the back half of the conversation, I'm going to try to spin things towards the team. I'm going to try to get more information on the stuff I've done. So I've already researched the company at a high level. I want to understand how some of this stuff is playing on a team level. So maybe I say, I think a mistake that a lot of people make is they ask questions that you could probably find with a little bit of your own research. So maybe they say something like, Hey, what is an account manager? What's a day in the life like of an account manager at whatever company? And you're going to get an answer. That's fine. But is that really going to forward the relationship or forward the conversation? Not really. But if you show that you've done your research and you ask them a question that gives you some credibility, that can really help. So if you come to the table and say, Hey, I was listening to using Microsoft of Satya Nadella's keynote at this last event. And he said this one specific thing, you all are rolling out this specific initiative. And it looks like your team might be a part of that. So I also did some research on the challenges and I was looking up some articles around what analysts had to say. And they said, X, Y, and Z might be a challenge. How are you all thinking about dealing with those challenges? That question shows that you've done your research and it just shows that you have earned a lot more credibility and respect with a question like that than a question like, what do you do every day? And so that person is going to be a lot more willing to share with you if you show that you've done your research ahead of time, but you're also going to get a lot more information about the company and the team that could lead to a potential value validation project, or even just allow you to perform better outreach to other people on their team or help you better align your interview answers if you do get in the door. So that's really what I'm aiming for. And then at the end of the conversation, I'm typically doing one of two things. I'm either one asking them for advice that I can go take action on so that I can report back on the action that I took and I open the door for the next conversation. Or I'm looking to create what I call a value validation project, which is, again, what we talked about, that deliverable that essentially proves out my value and shows this person, hey, here are some ideas based on my experience. And that could end up in a referral or worst case, you arm this person with some ideas they can take back to their team. That really helps you further the relationship. Okay, fantastic. So with that value validation project, I know you did one to work your way into your current role. Have you seen a job seeker provide one of these for you as a hiring manager? And I'd love to hear you being on the other side of receiving that instead of having to yeah. be the person building it. And what did you think of that? No, that's a great question. And most people ask me about examples that I've helped people with. I, I, I like the reframe here for sure. So at Microsoft, I don't think anybody's come to the table with one for our team. Granted, with our team, it's a little bit more niche. And so I don't know if people would necessarily know that I was on the team that they were interviewing for. But 
when I look at my business, I hire people to help with my business contractors and whatnot. And so we were looking to hire a writer. So I, I put a posting out on this site where there are a lot of writers. We got about 200 applications and one person basically created a five page Google doc that said, Hey, here is essentially, here are some samples of stuff I've done in the past, but to go above and beyond, let me do a quick sample for you. And they basically said, here is an article title or topic that I think you might be interested in writing about. Here is an outline for that article. Here is how I would optimize it for SEO. And here is a sample of me writing the first thousand words of it. And they said, I did it in your voice. I tried to include some links to stuff that you've done. Basically that came through and they really showed that they did their research ahead of time. Whereas everybody else was just sending me articles that they've written beforehand. And they were all just giving me kind of a, a cookie cutter application that they send to everybody. Or the level of personalization was like, thanks, you read my about page or you read the headline on my site. That's nice. Is that really going above and beyond? Whereas this person essentially provided me with almost free content in a way, but in a way that made me say, Hey, I really like this. And I want, I don't just want to take your thousand words. I want more of this. Like I want to bring you on because you're going to solve my problem. And I think that's something where people get caught up with the value validation project. They always ask me what happens if a company steals your ideas and you have to think about it from the company's perspective. They're hiring to, to solve for a need or a problem. And, you know, if you give them an idea and they steal your idea, one, is that really a place that you want to work? But then two, you know, typically good companies will say the same thing I did. We're hiring this person for the long term. I don't want that one idea. I want the person who came up with that one idea because I know they're going to come up with more that are really going to help us drive this business forward. And that person we ended up hiring to do the writing and, and they've been fantastic, but they set themselves so far apart from everybody else who was just doing the exact same thing. And so that's why the VVP tends to be really effective in the job search process because nobody else is doing it. And it makes your value so much more clear to people on the other side than having them trying to decipher your resume or your cover letter. Absolutely. And as you are talking about all that, I'm thinking particularly for somebody who's a career switcher or like you said, has a non-traditional background. You don't own something to point to to say, I've done this job just somewhere else before. And so you are essentially providing them the work product that says, I can do this here. I'm proving it to you right here. You don't have to wonder if I'm a risky hire or not. I'm showing you that I can do the work. Exactly. I love that. That's such a fantastic idea. Um, it's so proactive and it's surprising. I'm sure to when a hiring manager gets something like that's a huge wow factor. I would think. Yeah, that, that's the typical response we get from the people who I coach who use this stuff. They'll send me emails from people who are like, you know, whoa, we've never seen anything like this. Or these ideas were exactly what we were looking for in a candidate. And we've never had somebody bring something like this to the table. And that's, that's the reaction you want to elicit as a job seeker, right? That's the reaction that's going to take you from, if you weren't already at the top of the shortlist, that's what's going to bring you to the top of the shortlist. So it is a little bit of extra work for sure. But when you think about the upside of what you get out of a new job from salary and happiness, quality of life, future growth and, and opportunity, it's, it's a no brainer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And for sure, you're right. It is extra work, but it's also, there's so much in job search. I think that is a lot of work. And I talk to job seekers a lot about like, 
ignoring a lot of that noise because there's a lot of that work that is not productive work. You will get zero return for all of your effort. Like you talked about applying to 100 jobs or 200 jobs. Guess what? That's also a lot of work. Yep. But it just leads nowhere. So you might as well put all your energy into the kind of work that's going to get you that wow and get you to the next step here. Yeah, I, I love that. That's such a great strategy. Um, and I also want to touch on all of the amazing free tools that are on the website at cultivatedculture.com. Because first of all, the resume builder, it's totally amazing and it's free. I think that's such a, like, it can be a huge stumbling block for people who are trying to put together their resume. And and I laughed, actually, when I saw on your website, you said there's other sites that tell you it's free and you put all your information in and then they're like, okay, put your credit card in here if you actually <laughs> want to see the resume that you just built, which is insane. But yours is totally free. And the templates are really clean looking and amazing. and like you said, optimized for to get through the ATS to be able to actually be read by the software that recruiters are using. Um, And it also looks like you did that, built those in consultation with recruiters and people who will actually be reading resumes that get submitted to them. So that's a huge, like just service, I think. I want to really encourage people to go and check that out. And then beyond that, the resume match, that's available on the website because I think often job seekers put together one resume and they're like, okay, I'm good to go. I'll just use this for everything. Clearly, you are going to get a lot farther if you've got it optimized for the job that you're applying for. And so the resume match allows you to input a job description and your resume and calculate a match percentage so you know that you're on target for being a good match for the role. Yeah, exactly. All the tools were built. A lot of people ask me if you're the person who helps people get jobs without applying online, like what's with all the resume tools. And really the goal is to have people spend less time applying online and more time networking and and building relationships. And to your point, Katie, you, you build the resume and the resume builder, And then you go, uh, we also have a third tool, it's called resibullet.io and it essentially allows you to put in your resume bullet and it'll give you a score and it'll help you write better bullets. So use resibullet in tandem with the resume builder and then when you're ready, you just say, okay, let me take this job description, let me upload my resume, let me get a score, make those last few improvements and send it out. And that way, the hope is to help people tweak their resume uh, for those online apps in 15 minutes, 20 minutes instead of two hours and also remove some of the guesswork of what keywords do I use or is my font choice the the thing that's holding me back from getting hired? And we just want to remove all that guesswork for people. And then to your point, we wanted to make it free because I found it really frustrating to spend 30 minutes making a resume and to get slapped with a paywall. But then on top of that, it's just like that stuff should be free for people to use. I mean, that this job search is hard enough. It's a total mess. And that's one of the cool parts of having a side hustle while working full time. I can reinvest a lot in the business and I can afford to, to give that stuff away for free. We have a whole bunch of tools on the site. You can find all of them at cultivatedculture.com forward slash tools. There's kind of a, a landing page with all four of them there. Um, so yeah, people can check those out. That's amazing. And in MailScoop, which incidentally has become my favorite email, (laughs) (laughs) Um, because it's super accurate. 
And I was just being kidded the other day that I should have gone into being a private detective because I was telling somebody, okay, now you want to reach, go to Mailscoop and find their email address. And they were like, really? What? Um, but yes, you can you do can. that. <laughs> and yeah, what's your thought on landing in somebody's email inbox versus uh, LinkedIn in mail? Yeah. So I think it really depends on the person. So there's this thing, uh, it's called the, the 99 one rule and it's essentially, it has its own Wikipedia page. It's a pretty widely accepted principle for internet communities where when you have a community of people online, 1% of the people will be creating original content and they sort of drive all the content on the platform that brings everybody else there. 9% of the people are engaging with that content and they're commenting and liking and sharing and, and engaging with each other. And then 90% are what you know the internet affectionately refers to as lurkers. So they just sit there and they observe and they don't really engage or interact. So we can apply that to our list. We talked about 10 to 15 companies, 10 to 15 contacts at each. You're essentially looking at a minimum of 100 to 150 contacts. So that's a pretty good sample size for an online community since that's how we'll be reaching out to these people. So what I found is that you know 1% of those people roughly are going to be super active online. They're going to have a personal brand. They're going to have the website and they're sharing content on social media and all that. Then you're going to have the 9% who are maybe not creating stuff, but they're out there, they're commenting, they're posting stuff like that. And then the 90% is just not really going to have a, a big online presence. And so we want to engage with each of those people in the way that you know makes the most sense. So for that 1%, maybe showing up on the content that they're creating and, and working to build a relationship with them that way is the way to go. Whereas for the 90%, that is probably going to be a cold email. So when it comes to LinkedIn versus email, you know, typically my recommendation is to go with email as a, a primary, you know, method of outreach and then to use LinkedIn as a backup. And the reason for that is email is pretty ubiquitous. We all have an email address. We are all on our emails all day for work. And while a lot of people have a LinkedIn profile, not everybody's on LinkedIn all the time, if at all. A lot of people just made one one time and they've just let it sit there or they have it, but they don't really check it. And then on top of that, email is just free. So you can send as many emails as you want. Whereas LinkedIn, unless you're connected with somebody, you have to use in-mail credits. And I think you only get five of them. And they are really expensive if you want to buy more. So I don't think that those are terribly worth it. And then finally, email gives you a lot more visibility. So I'm a big proponent of using email trackers like a yeswear.com or a mail track, which essentially allows you to see what's happening on the other side. Did this person open your email? When did they open it? How often did they open it? And as a job seeker, that's really helpful information to know if you should follow up or to know what the appetite is on the other side. Whereas LinkedIn, you send the message and you can see their little picture pop up one time, but, but that's about it. So you just get a lot more visibility with email as well. And so for the most part, email is going to get you better response rates with that 90% tail of people who are, are not, you know, super active online. And if for whatever reason you can't find their email or they don't respond, then by all means, send them a connection request on LinkedIn, send them a message. Don't ignore LinkedIn completely, but I would start with email and then take it from there. Mm -hmm. Great. Great advice. So here we are, everybody is working from home all the time. Our ability to go grab a coffee with somebody is severely limited these days. Um, anything about your job search process or advice that you felt the need to adjust for sort of work from home world? 
I think the biggest adjustment is just that in-person coffees have now moved to Zoom. And I actually don't think that's too big of a change, especially now as we've all gotten used to Zoom and online just communication in general. But a lot of relationship building has moved to the virtual front. But for me and the stuff that I recommend, a lot of it was happening virtually anyway. There's so many ways to build relationships over the internet, whether it's just emailing back and forth or engaging with somebody on LinkedIn or whatever it is. You don't have to get on a Zoom call with somebody to build a relationship with them. I have tons of people who are you know great friends at this point who I've literally just talked to over email from this business that I built. And so I think a lot of job seekers have this preconceived notion that I need to sit down with somebody for an hour and talk to them in order for a relationship to be built. And that's that's really not the case. And I actually think that that should be good news to job seekers because that takes a lot of pressure off of you. Even if you're an extrovert, it's a lot to go meet somebody you've never talked to before for 30 minutes or an hour and try to work them over and build a relationship. It's so much easier to just do it layer by layer. One comment on LinkedIn, one article that you send, and then maybe you get on a call with them after that. That's just such a better, more effective and easier way to build a relationship. And that's stuff that I've been recommending for a while, but I think now we're seeing more like the light bulb go off with more people because they've been forced into a situation where that's their only option. But I think this is actually a good thing for job seekers in the sense that they're going to expand their repertoire of relationship building tools and the ways that they're able to build those relationships. I think that's the silver lining in something that I, I think a lot of us wish had never happened in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think a lot about process that you are recommending that would have always worked just fine virtually, even when we had the ability to meet in person. And certainly the fundamentals of focusing more on people and conversations and relationships than online job postings is good advice. That's timeless, no matter what else craziness is going on in the world. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being my guest today. I want to just wrap up with mentioning that the article again was how to get a job anywhere with no connections. And that's just one of many that you have written out there on your blog, which just contains a ton of great information for job seekers. And of course, the free job seeker tools are out there. But Austin, please tell people where they can find you. Yeah, the best place is really on LinkedIn or on the website. The website has a lot of good tools, but it's a one-way communication channel. Whereas LinkedIn, uh, I spend a lot of time on there. I I post daily. I try to get back to as many comments and messages as I can. And uh, that's definitely the easiest place to get in touch with me. Feel free to follow along or send me a connection request or whatever it is. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And job seekers, now that you know how to go get after it with an unconventional process and a way to really stand out from the crowd, go do it. I believe it. Subscribe to our email list at backtobusinessconference.com for weekly job search advice. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Get a Job, Here's How podcast. You can find all the information from this episode in our show notes at www.backtobusinessconference.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write a review so that we can reach more people. Now that you know how, go do it.